You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. You're listening to episode 480 and I'm your co-host, Brittany Martin. Nick Maloney is co-founder of the NAR Company, a full-service product consulting shop. He resides in Boston, Massachusetts with his family and two Pomeranians named Henry and Teddy Bear. Outside of work, he enjoys staying active in outdoor pursuits like exploring the north woods of Maine or boating and fishing off of Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Welcome to the Ruby on Rails podcast, Nick. Hey, thanks for having me. So I want to give a little background to the listeners as to why you're on the podcast. You have someone wonderful at your company, Michael. He reached out to me on LinkedIn after hearing Kyle Daigle's episode and said, hey, I think that Nick would be really great for the show. And his pitch was super compelling. So I just want to remind the listeners, you know, if you know someone or you yourself would be an excellent guest, please reach out to me. That being said, Michael's pitch was exciting. And so I'm going to have a ton of questions for Nick today. Really excited to have you, Nick. So what is your developer origin story? I've been interested in technology and understanding how things work basically my entire life. I got my first taste of coding well in high school, way back in the 90s. I had an independent study where I was able to spend a semester building the school's first website and teaching myself rudimentary HTML, CSS, JavaScript, and I think like DHTML was a thing back then. I was hooked after that, realizing you could potentially make a career out of it. I went to college and, and got a degree in CIS, which is applied CS with a business angle. And I've held software engineering roles ever since. My first true software engineering role was building real estate web applications using a language called Cold Fusion, which is... Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a legend here. <laughs> Cobol of web apps, but it taught me a lot and, and got me started. So I'll give it that. So following Cold Fusion gig, I shifted over to PHP and Drupal for almost 10 years. I was building out some large CMS systems for higher ed and healthcare institutions. And during that time was when Rails first came on the scene. I bought the Pickaxe book and the DHH Dave Thomas Agile Development with Rails book, installed a copy of TextMate. And after playing around with it, I knew I wanted to work in Ruby. My employer at the time let me build out a side project, which was a QR code-based event management system all in Rails. He had read the books and, and he was pretty fired up about the technology too. And after we did that, I could never go back to PHP and Drupal, not to, to knock on that, but it, it was just a game changer for me, Ruby and the Rails platform and all that it provided, how productive it was. So shortly after that, I, I got a gig as a, a CTO and solo dev for a now defunct real estate startup in the Boston Mass area. And I built a pretty large Rails app for them and again, really enjoyed the experience of crafting software with Rails. And then from there, I went on to work at a, several more Boston startups, either in an individual contributor role or eventually engineering management roles uh, before starting in our company. Okay, so I'm eager to ask you this question because this is something I've been mulling over a lot. What was it like being a single developer, but having the title of CTO? I think the CTO was sort of embellishment on both sides. As he was doing a raise, you know, he needed to say that he had a C-level technology person. And I didn't really care what the title was. At the end of the day, I was primarily an individual contributor, but would 
make some technology decisions. So it, it was a much, much different role than what I'd say a real CTO does. It's more you know, managing technical strategy and teams to some degree. And you said you spent 10 years with PHP. Do you still keep your thumb on that community? Like, have you followed along with Laravel at all? Or are you strictly like heads down Ruby on Rails community? Not so much. I like to kind of peek in every once in a while and and just see what's been happening there. But I don't do any development in there, nor do I, I really have interest in at this phase of my career. But I've heard great things about how far along Laravel's come. And my understanding is become a phenomenal framework if you're working in PHP. But well, uh, that's good, Nick. That means we get to keep you. So. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. I will say we do some WordPress contracts. I don't handle any of that at all, but at my company, the NAR, we will occasionally take on WordPress and we have someone that only focuses on WordPress for CMS world. Well, that is the perfect transition to my next question. I am curious, what is the origin story behind the NAR company? So like pretty much... Everything in my life, founding the NAR was fairly unplanned. Back in 2015, I was working for a healthcare startup in Boston that a few of your guests also worked at, actually. We were about, let's say, a 100-person rail shop with just a great engineering team. And the company was going through some challenges with product market fit. And to their credit, the leadership team was transparent about the potential for things to get rocky meaning layoffs. And during that time, I chatted with a few colleagues to see if anyone would be insane enough to partake in a new venture, which would be consulted. My colleague and now business partner, Mike Stone, was interested. So we started to get a plan together and everything just sort of fell in place from there. We were able to line up a few clients and no sooner did that happen, there was the all hands meeting, which happens when folks are being let go and, and a large portion of, of the team was let go. And you know, that's the very condensed version of it. I had worked in software consulting prior to starting the NAR, so I understood the operational side of the business. And I had a pretty decent network, particularly in the Boston area, just being in the industry for a while. So I was able to tap into that to line up our first clients and contractors and all that good stuff. Okay. That's super interesting, Nick. Where did the name come from? Because it's so unique and I quite love it. So naming variables is really hard, as you know. Well, we were brainstorming for names. I think one of us said something along the lines of, we need a gnarly name. And that just sort of stuck. And we started punching that into all the various domain name generators. And eventually, I think gnar.dog came up and we just kind of ran with that. And our tagline is we solve your gnarly problems. And it's worked well for us. It's a memorable name and it sort of aligns with our culture of we don't take ourselves too seriously, but we take our work seriously. At this point, how big is the company? So we started out as just two dudes in a rented conference room and had some contractors that came from the former company that we were at. And within the first year, we grew to about eight full-time employees, all of former colleagues, and we've had steady growth ever since. So we're currently around 40 people, mostly engineers, but we have a design team, we have QA, BA, sales, and even like people operations on staff. That's awesome. So one of my favorite topics and things that I like to ask is, 
Why do you stick to Ruby on Rails as your default stack at the, the NAR company? The quickest response is we all came from a Rails background, so we're really proficient in it. We hired many folks that we worked with, and it was well established in our engineering culture. It was pretty plug and play just from the idiomatic way of doing things in Ruby and following the conventions to the testing culture. So that made it a really good fit for us. And at the time, there were a lot of Rails-based product shops in Boston, and we had a lot of connections within there. So it worked really well from the business angle that we were able to work with former colleagues or, or networking folks. So that definitely went a long way from the operational side of the business. But on the technology side, I think I like how consistent it is. You know, we could staff just about any of our team members on a Rails project. And while they're not necessarily going to know the business domain, they're going to be able to go in there and be productive on day one because they know how it's organized. They know how they can run tests. They generally know deployment's going to work. And that means a lot to be able to quickly onboard folks on, on new projects and not have the technology be the barrier to the, a large degree. And you know, not to mention it's really mature, stable, and pleasant to work with platform. So obviously biased towards it, but I think it has probably the best developer UX of any technology that that I work with. I definitely agree. I'm curious with the clients that you have, do you tend to build new projects and then hand them off? Are you taking on legacy code bases? Are you doing long-term contracts? What does that look like for you? All of the above. We definitely greenfield go from ideation to build out to deployment. And in some cases we will do handoff. And in some cases we'll even help interview and train their engineering staff and do a transition plan, which is really enjoyable. We've had projects where we've inherited legacy code bases and we've gone in and updated them and added additional layers of testing and, and just bolstered them. So it got to a, a level of quality that you'd want to see. And we've also had really large enterprise level projects that we've operated and maintained for many years. So pretty good spectrum. Do you currently use one service for uptime monitoring, another one for error tracking, another for status pages, and yet another to monitor your cron jobs and microservices? Paying for all those services separately may be costing you way more than you think. If you want to simplify your stack and lower your bills, it's time to check out HoneyBadger. HoneyBadger combines all of those services into one easy-to-use platform. It's everything you need to keep production healthy and your customers happy. Best of all, HoneyBadger is free for small teams and setup takes as little as five minutes. Get started today at honeybadger.io. That is honeybadger.io. Thank you to HoneyBadger for their continued support of the Ruby on Rails podcast. Well, speaking of projects, do you have an interesting client project that we could dig into? Yeah. So one of the longest running projects that I've been involved with is with the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. I'm still billable to some degree on, on client projects. And, and this is where I spend most of my time when not running the NAR. And we have built a series of criminal background record check systems for a few different agencies. And I'll, I'll kind of walk through the history because there's a bit to unpack there, but it's been just really interesting and, and rewarding projects. Back in 2016, 
a bill was signed in Massachusetts giving the Department of Public Utilities, which oversees taxi licensing and some of the transportation licensing regulatory authority over what's now called TNCs, Transportation Network Carriers. And I apologize in advance. I speak in acronyms from so much time on these state projects. Uh, but Uber and Lyft are considered TNCs within the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. And there was a bill that they wanted to run government background record checks on those folks, mostly because these systems have access to information that the private sector doesn't. So even though Uber and Lyft were running background checks, the Commonwealth felt that having an additional layer of, of government checks would improve public safety. So through persistence and sheer luck, we submitted a bid to build the system back in, in 2016, and we won. You know, given our background in healthcare systems and working in domains where data privacy and security was important, we, we felt comfortable in, in doing this work. Historically, these background record check systems were fairly manual and end-to-end. It took months to get results back. We took a much different approach. We were working with technology companies, Uber and Lyft. So we proposed building an API that interacts directly with their platforms and then gives back the results in as real time as possible, given what we're getting back from the various criminal database systems. So if someone goes through this check and and doesn't get any hits, meaning records, they'll be approved to drive near instantly, which I think goes a long way in reducing some of the potential for friction anytime you have a a government entity involved in regulation. So we built a a real-time API in using Rails API And what it does is it takes a payload from the TNCs, Uber and Lyft of of driver information, and then it runs a series of government background checks. And that was a whole new world I was not familiar with at all. Each of these checks is potentially handled by different agencies and come in, in different formats. And there's a series of them. So for this particular project, they're running what's called Cori, which is a criminal records check, Sorry, which is sex offender, active warrants, and also RMV for driving records, mostly looking to make sure that they're licensed and suspended or anything like that. So when we receive one of these payloads, we then make API calls out to these various data providers. Some of them, we get results back right away. Some of them, there might be some delay, but generally it all happens within a couple of seconds. We then parse the results, and we'll send them back to Uber and Lyft with either a a thumbs up or or thumbs down, and that will automate onboarding their driver. In addition to that API, we also built a screening application, which allows employees of the Commonwealth to screen hits, meaning if someone came back with a criminal record, they have a, a list in their policy of offenses that are disqualifying and it's violent offenses. So you know, the vast majority of folks are quickly being screened, could be a shoplifting offense from 20 years ago, and, and they're good to drive. And they're going to the system where some of the more serious offenses go through a more of a rigid review process. So we have a, a UI where these folks can see the nature of the offense, read them, and then 
go through some type of review process to make sure that any disqualifying events, these folks aren't allowed to proceed. And there's a whole review and appeals process that's baked into that. That's a really condensed outline of the project. The screening application is also all in Rails. It was done back in 2016 and still operates and we maintain it to this day. We built the initial phase in about six months and and all in all, it was a relatively smooth launch. Made some of the papers and just that caught some folks that shouldn't be driving. And I don't think there was any ill will or anything like that. It's just the system is more comprehensive than some of the private sector systems. So it did its job. So we were really proud of the work that the team did in, in terms of like public safety, but also streamlining the process. So from the DPU application, they were pleased with the results. Uh, we were approached by another agency within the Commonwealth, the uh, Department of Early Education and Care, and they oversee childcare licensing. And using the lessons that we learned in building these systems from DPU, we architected and built a, a system from them. It's very similar. We receive applications from folks that are working with children and then run them through the background check. This one's a little more comprehensive where it integrates with Idemia, Identigo, which is what TSA PreCheck uses. So we make API calls out to them to go out and get fingerprinted and we'll go out and do that and we'll get the FBI results back and then run them through the Corey, Sorry, and National Sex Offender Registry list that I mentioned earlier. And along the way, we've developed a lot of tooling and libraries to streamline this process. We have some internal gems that handle the parsing of of some of these systems. There are a good amount of legacy technologies involved, whether it's SOAP, XML. There's some systems that are in really old Oracle, and, and we've put some more pleasant facades on them. We've done a lot on the UI front, particularly around starting to use view components for common behavior and in ways of rendering it. Well, you have answered so many of my questions already, but of course I still have more. How much of what you have built is specifically to work with Massachusetts or can this be extended into other states or is it an issue where everybody's using different things? There's a lot there that is specific to Massachusetts, particularly around processing data that's coming from their internal court systems. But the actual workflows themselves would work for other states. And in fact, we've gone out and and started pursuing more of this work for other states to leverage, I think, less the specific technology and more our, our knowledge in working with these systems and how to architect them in a secure and resilient manner And all of this stuff is built in Rails. So along the way, I think we've had a lot of either gems or know what gems to implement to build out these systems. So our our team's been pursuing other state contracts. And even within the Commonwealth, we literally just launched a new project for the Disabled Person Protection Commission. And they, they screen caregivers. So we're continuing to build this out within the Commonwealth when given the opportunity. 
Now, you mentioned that you've built some internal gems, but of course, background checks lends well to background workers. I'm curious how you have that all set up. So right now, most of this is hosted on AWS GovCloud. We are deploying it via Elastic Beanstalk, and it's all containerized in Docker. And we're using right now SQS to communicate across the systems, but there is support for active job SQSD, I believe is the gem. And if I remember correctly, there's been some recent movement in that space. And I think my team is actively working to update it. Early on, we struggled a little bit to get SQS to play nicely with active job. But since then, it's it's been pretty smooth. And for the most part, I like it. If, if I had my druthers, I'd use Redis and instead just because I know it and, and work with it and it's easier to diagnose. But for the most part, everything is an active job and just get sent over the wire with SQS. I attempted to move from Sidekick to SQS. This must have been like six years ago. And so I used the gem Shuruken in yes. order to do it. And ultimately ended up staying with Sidekick. But I'm glad to hear that there is more support in the community around SQS since, you know, AWS is so prevalent. Yeah, we've enjoyed it. We are not using Sidekick, unfortunately, and I wish we were. If I remember correctly, it, it doesn't support SQS, but you know, just for visibility, having the UI going into retries, because I will say splunking through CloudWatch and debugging SQS is, it's not that fun, but it works. Now, I know you're a big proponent of stimulus and in existing legacy applications, the ability to swap out jQuery, which you're doing a solid service. So thank you for that. Is stimulus something that you used on this project? Did not start, but starting to. So when we began this project, I think stimulus was coming out, but it wasn't fully baked in the way that it is for Real 7. But what we're doing now is we're doing a lot of UI enhancements on the EEC project, early education and care project in particular. And that was started several years ago based on an even older code base. So a lot of jQuery and HTML and CSS in there. And we're starting to modernize that and and swap out UI enhancements for view components and stimulus. I don't think we're going to be able to do a complete rewrite in leverage everything that ecosystem with turbo i mean i think we might attempt to in in some areas but stimulus itself has been phenomenal for taking we'll call it jquery soup and extracting that and just adding sanity to how the the front end structure we're able to encapsulate whether it be forms or, or just some of the interactions on the page and provide a a good structure. And I, I think the tagline for stimulus is so true. I think it's JavaScript for the HTML you already have. And that really resonates with us. And that really describes how we've been using it. And it's been a joy to work with just the fact that we're able to extract not so well-architected jQuery code and to no fault of anyone's own. That's what happens with these larger, older projects. They just kind of organically grow and and we're able to rein in and and refactor that using stimulus. But we're going to spend a good portion of this year to extract a lot of that and rebuild portions of the UI just using stimulus. 
And that's not only true for this project. We begin to use it more and more within the NAR company. We do a good amount of React and, and have an appreciation for that. But with Rails 7, and I know I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent here, but I'm, I'm very enthusiastic about stimulation. I love it. You, you keep on going, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> Just makes it so easy for us to produce these really rich interactive applications with more, I won't say more sane architecture, but less architecture. They're simple. I, I really like simple. There's fewer moving parts, but you still get the the SPA experience coming out of it. And you're not fighting with tooling as much. You know, you get that Rails experience where it's baked into the platform. And, and I really like that. And I mentally un- get stimulus where I, I think I struggle with React mostly because I'm not as much of an individual contributor and don't code as much, but things have, have changed quite a bit with hooks and, and some of the callbacks there. And again, it's mostly my own doing, but I find stimulus just very approachable and and how simple it is. And even me, who's can be a little rusty, I can go in and, and do a fun side project using it and it works and it, and it comes out pretty solid. So I'm just a huge proponent and really like it. That's awesome. Now, one additional question that I had for you before we wrap up is that I'm really interested in the idea of community. And you're someone who currently runs a consultancy. So if you were to step back and look at NAR, including yourself, would you say the engineers that you have on staff are actively in the Ruby on Rails community and how? I would say so. I mean, it's certainly not to the level of some of the other consultancies. I, mean, I think our approach has been to support and encourage our team members to participate based on their interest levels. It ebbs and flows based on the specific team members. We've had some folks that were pretty prolific open source contributors. We've had other folks that have spoken at conferences over the years, especially pre-COVID and also pre-COVID, we used to attend a lot of the, the Boston area meetups. I think lately, one area where we're doing well is around technical content. We've got a lot of team members that enjoy writing posts. I think that's a, a helpful and approachable way to bolster the community through learning and, and sharing your experiences or just cool tricks that you picked up in your day-to-day work. So I think that's probably the, the one area where my team's been the most focused in, in participating more so than others. But you know, we do occasionally have folks that might find a bug in a particular jam and PR it back. And we always encourage that and are on the hunt for opportunities to do so. That's excellent. So where can I point listeners to that technical content? Sure. So on our website, thenar.co, we have a blog and you can filter down by topic area, but there's a Ruby on Rails topic filter there, and, and we post regularly. Fabulous. So Nick, how can listeners follow you? Admittedly, I'm a bit of an internet recluse, not completely, <laughs> but say for reaching out, LinkedIn's a good source, and I'm always happy to have folks reach out to me, especially if they have questions on starting a company or, or consulting, because folks do that. So definitely reach out to me there or on our website. I have some content on there, and, and you can get a hold of me through there. Wonderful. Well, Nick, I've enjoyed this conversation so much. Thank you for answering all of my questions. It's so exciting to see how many consultancies out there are still championing Ruby on Rails and 
We appreciate you putting all that great technical content out there as well. Appreciate it. And thank you so much for having me on. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review. And thank you for listening.